Okay, we're live. Oh my goodness, so exciting. With me <laughs> is uh, Scott, he's above me, and I'm down here. I'm Lamar, uh, Lady Ada, uh, lead engineer of Adafruit, and Scott has been heading up the CircuitPython efforts and mm -hmm. ESP32S2 linking fun. Oh yeah, all sorts of fun. Yeah, so we're doing this hack chat. Uh, I gotta say we don't represent Espressif, we uh, we don't actually know the answers to some of the things that we're saying, but we'll mm -hmm. do a really good job BSing our way through them, and uh, we'll probably Fingers get most of them right. So yeah, we're here. So I'm also going to chat. The, I have the data, hey. the data sheets up in one of these windows somewhere. Yeah, data sheet is a service. It's our new um, web platform. <laughs> you have an engineer who will just like look through the data sheet for a question you have to do. Somebody asked me on my stream on Friday about uh, the presence detection that I think the regular ESP32 has. I was like, I don't know. All right, Jonathan asked, does anyone know if the ESP32 S2 has a larger buffer? I think the variant, not S2, I have is limited to 1600 bytes. I wonder if that means like an MTU, like for, for wireless. Scott, you wanna look that up in the data sheet? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly what John is talking about for yeah. buffer. Yeah. I'm just guessing because 1600 is close to like the 1500 standard TCP/IP MTU. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, I stick to 1500 per packet, but uh, yeah, maybe John can answer what exact buffer you're talking about. I'll ask. Yeah, John, that's okay. right. We should type our answers in, shouldn't we? I do. Wait, it's not John Edgar Park. Ooh, there's this. There you go. Hi Charles. Hi, Hi DJ Mitz. Are you talking and YouTube. About? Okay. All right, sweet. So people are gonna be in the stream. Okay, does the ESP32 S2 still have Wi-Fi analog pin conflicts? This is something that happened with the ESP32. A little bit mysterious, not sure exactly why. Maybe it's because it's like a section would can you know would interfere with Wi-Fi, but you couldn't use um, like one of the analog pin sets when Wi-Fi was on. I don't know if they fixed that in the ESP32 S2. Do you see anything uh, like that? I have a small bell ringing in my head that says there's two ADCs and one of them you can't. Yeah, that sounds about right. But did you Something know if that's like ESP32 S2? Uh, I haven't looked much in the ESP32, so probably. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know for sure. I don't look yet. Uh, probably has the same restrictions. All right, I'll, I'll answer Dave. Dave asks, okay. um, what's the status of USB OTG support? And the answer is device is working, but I don't believe host is working. Yeah, although TD USB does have host support. So, you know, we will, we will add it eventually. Um, it is kind of nice the ESP32 S2, you can bootload it over USB over or over serial. So you could still program and debug with it while having it be a USB host interface, which is not true of um, some chips where it's like, well, the only way to program or interface it basically is over USB. There's like no, another bootloader. Right. Okay. There's, a, there's a really good ESP32 forum topic with the state of support for stuff. Yeah. 
I'm just double checking my link before I post it. Okay. Then Ben Hack is asking about that risk coprocessor. There's a risk five coprocessor in it. We've seen it. We haven't used it yet. Um, but I think it's interesting. Um, you know, it might be um, useful for like, uh, you know, machine learning or AI projects where it's like you have to toss over a bunch of computation over to a coprocessor and send it back. So I can reply to. Uh, we haven't tried the risk yet, but it could be useful for ML AI projects, which need a lot of computation. And the ESP32 S2 is not a dual core consilica. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the RISC-V's clock speed actually is. Yeah, I don't know exactly what it's for. It's kind of like they, they put it in like the diagram and it was like kind of cool, but I don't know what, I, I mean, like it, why not? It's free, right? <laughs> it's yeah, I, th I think it's mainly for the ultra low power. So it's like, it's in a lower power domain and stuff. Okay. So it's like, if you just need some logic to decide whether you wake up or not, I think is the main goal. Okay. We finally have a question that we can answer. Uh, Peter asks, uh, can you ditch the USB UART chip programmer boards when using the S2? Can you program it uh, fully over USB? And I think the answer is yes, there's a USB bootloader, right? But it's not a UART bootloader, it's an HID bootloader. Yeah, you would know better than me. I haven't actually used it. Yeah, there is a USB bootloader, but we don't think it's UART. Probably. BFU or something like that. Okay. Okay, so John says, yes, the packet sniffer for the, the packet buffer, like the MTU packet buffer, I guess. I mean, I, it's probably defined in the, the IDF. I don't, I don't know if it would be different. That would be my assumption too. Yeah. Because there's a big like cake and fig stuff for all the IDF. Yeah, that's probably in the IDF setup if it's flexible. Check. See if there's a cake config option. Okay. Um, so Adam DeMurray asks, they're excited for Wi-Fi time of flight for the S2, have you played with it? Will it let you do position tracking if you have multiple APs? So I guess it, it looks at time of flight for like packets um, compared to like how, you know, I've seen time of flight sensors that use infrared. Um, with Wi-Fi, you know, here's the thing, there's, there's signals can bounce um, off surfaces and if it's in your bag, it can be different than if it's outside in your person. So it's not going to be like precision tracking. Um, I'd say probably within like a tenth of a meter or something. Um, that's what I've seen for a lot of these because it's really hard to get good like centimeter precision um, object detection in the 3D space. It's just, it's just a hard problem. Okay, any questions you wanna pick up, Scott? 
Looks like some folks in the YouTube chat are having trouble hopping into the hack chat. So if you have questions, feel free to drop those in the YouTube chat and we can answer those as well. Uh, I just made an extra comment about the fact that tiny USB is actually included in the IDF. So I think it works. And then the way that we're doing it in CircuitPython right now is we're actually kind of calling tiny USB directly, but it actually uses at least one function uh, from tiny or from the IDF to like initialize the hardware. I was just doing that yesterday. Actually, as I think of it, one of the things that I remember seeing on the AT86 RF233, which also does time of flight. Um, it's not Wi-Fi, it's 2.4 gigahertz. It's uh, using um, like Zigbee or something. And um, they have like two antennas. You have to have two um, perpendicular antennas and like an antenna switch. So it's like the hardware is also a little bit different. Okay. Um, Boyan asks, what dev board would you recommend for trying the ESP32 S2 with the Arduino IDE? I don't know if they have an Arduino IDE core yet, but you can definitely use the IDF and I'll switch to the overhead to show off the dev board that's available. Watch this. Bam. Okay. So you know all these cool hack and day things. So this is the dev board that's available right now. It's called the Saola. And it has um, a micro USB port, a USB serial converter, like a CP2104. It's got two buttons, uh, an RGB LED. I think it's RGB. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a NeoPixel regulator. And then the ESP32-S2 module. And um, like I said, you can program it and debug it over the USB serial. And then if you want to use it with USB native, you have to wire up a separate USB connection. So the USB pins are like 20 and 19. So you just wire those up as D minus and D plus to a micro USB port like this one. And then that way you can still program and debug over the USB UART and have teeny USB, like native USB running on this port. Or you can check out Scott's hardcore, no breadboard build. Yeah, we actually yeah, got these. I just little, got this from the Adafruit store. Yeah, we got these cables and um, they're, they're kind of like USB suicide cords. They're basically, uh, hold on, let me switch back. They're just USB with like just the, the pins all brought out and you can just plug them into dev boards because so many dev boards we're seeing now, it's like they have another USB port, but you can't get to it. Like it's, there's no connector. You have to like add your own connector. All right, so I'm going to reply uh, to, <laughs> oh man, I gotta scroll, just gotta grab and scroll. Oh yeah, I'm not getting everything. Uh, You're seeing stuff that I'm not seeing. Oh. Check out the. We are too popular. So. Yeah. Let's see. Let me find the link for. So Adam. Adam Bryant in YouTube was postulating that the the risk core in the S2 might be based on the same unit as the M5 Stacks Stick 5 AI camera. And my guess is that's not the case, given that um, given that I think the main 
goal of the the risk five core and the s2 is for low power use um i don't think they're gonna put something super beefy there because it's in like a separate power domain so you can turn off the main extensor core uh instead okay did you get morgan's question about tdusb supporting multiple interfaces yeah i can i'll reply to morgan so that okay because you know the t i'm like i'll let you do the tdusb stuff because you're so good at it uh, Morgan Allen in YouTube asks, can TinyUSB support multiple interfaces, say HID and, and your at the same time? And the answer is definitely yes. Yeah, we do um, mass storage, HID, MIDI, UART, as well as a bunch of other like things that I've never used, like whatever the USB protocol is for test equipment, we support that. I don't even remember the name of it. It's like test USB or something. But yeah, um, yeah we Tiny, have that. TinyUSB has really taken off and people have added like the networking protocol as well. So we yeah, have like, like Ethernet over USB. CDC, which is your uh, mass storage, HID, MIDI, networking, something. Yeah. Yeah. Mass storage you. is our main interest. Okay, so then all right, Peter Winter asks, is there an ETA for an ESP32 room S2 module yet? And um, I have some, but I'll, I'll switch over to the uh, overhead again, because why, why not show some hardware? We are at Hackaday, then hardware. Um, so there's two modules available um, right now. And there's, there's basically two modules in one chip. So the modules, I got some samples from Espressif. They were very nice and they sent me some. So the modules are this big and they come on a gigantic tape. So they're, they're great for pick and placing. Um, and uh, they're both the same size, which is actually a little surprising. Um, one is the Wurum and one is the Wurover. Um, and they're physically, they look the same other than the writing on the top of the um, module. So if you look at the module itself, like I decapped both modules here, you can see that both have the Espressive chip. They still have the same crystal. Um, and they both have, I think this is a two megabyte uh, QSPY flash. But you see one of them has this PSRAM chip and the other doesn't. So the Rover has PSRAM and the Room does not. So I think right now they're focusing on getting people the Warover ones, which are the ones that have the PSRAM. And you can always just not like not turn on that PSRAM chip. And you can basically simulate this because again, they're the same physical size. I'll pop back and I'll, I'll type that in. Do you know which uh, Sala it is? Because uh, I'm looking on DigiKey, there's a 1R and a 1M. The, uh, yes, one is. I'm just wondering if I should pick this up because they have the M and I don't know which one I've got. Um, I do not. One of them has the Warover and one of them has the Warroom and I don't remember which one it is. Right. Sorry. <laughs> fine. They both have, sorry, four megabytes of flash. I don't remember which one, but, um, check the the manual on the data sheet because well right now like you can only get one of them right now from digikey so pick that one right okay <laughs> so i'm going to reply to bruce says it's the one r the one r has the psram yeah that sounds likely 
So Digikey has 29 of the 1M right now. Yeah. <laughs> for for the next few minutes, I suspect. Okay, so okay, so for Peter, I can part of that one. Uh, the Rover and Room are the same size. The Rover has PS RAM, and the Room is not, but it's not the same size as the ESP32 Room. It's the same size as the Rover longer. Um, so next question. Are you doing Larry or how far? Uh, back I are don't we? know. Look, I'm, I'm scrolling <laughs> here. I'm scrolling. There's a lot going on. Okay. I got the Peter Winter one. So I'm going to keep going forward. Okay. Uh, no given... for folks watching that the, the hack chat you're seeing is Phil's, not Lamore's. So yeah. that's why you don't see it scrolling around. I know. I'm, I'm scrolling like crazy. Uh, okay. So given that the ESP32 only has a single core, is that going to be problematic performance-wise for CircuitPython if you also have to care of Wi-Fi handling? How do you deal with strict timing? Or is that handled by the RTOS for you? I'm going to let Scott take this one. Yeah, the plan is to integrate with free RTOS to handle the timing. Um, we, we basically... We really we run background tasks a lot in CircuitPython, and we can give that use that background task thing as an opportunity for the RTOS to context switch if it needs to. Um, but this is the first time I've worked with free RTOS, so it's definitely something new. But the the idea is that like we'll slow down CircuitPython so that all the Wi-Fi stuff gets the responsiveness it needs. Okay. Um... Great, you can type that in. Okay, the next question is, um, the ESP32 V1 had poor light sleep current around one milliamp. Um, well, given that this has only one core, not two, so it's probably gonna be lower current for sleep um, because you only have one 10 silica core. Um, I think that they've worked a lot on um, low power and sleep modes. And, and Scott, you've actually also done some work recently on sleep in low power mode. Do you want to talk mm -hmm. about how you're doing that in CircuitPython? So I just, I took a look at it very briefly yesterday. I haven't run any numbers, but the thing that I was surprised by actually was that in light sleep mode on the ESP32, at least you Beely and Wi-Fi needs to be turned off, um, which kind of surprised me. So there, there's also a idle task mode for free RTOS that can manage it as well. Uh, but I haven't like we're way too early on the software side to actually have measured any of this stuff. Um, well, I'm going to reply to the power question. I keep uh, forgetting yeah. that I need to type it in. I kind of yeah. assume everybody's it's trying to alternate, you know, so it's like, while well, you're typing one, I'm answering one. I don't know. I don't know if that's working out. Yeah. Has only one core. So yeah, it Phil's should trying to keep track of which ones are be less than the dual core ESP32 S2 uh, uh, V1. Also, the V2 plus of the ESP32 did improve some modes. We, um, I, I, I vaguely remember um, people getting under one milliamp. Yeah, 
All right. Um, Somebody in YouTube asks, how big are the tapes? Oh, yeah. Well, I can I can measure it. They look like, I don't know, maybe 36 millimeters. Let's find out. <laughs> so many questions. Yeah. Uh, on YouTube. Sorry, Jack 44. They're 44 millimeter tape. So chunky tape. You can probably get them in tray if you really wanted to, but I, I also always prefer tape. Uh, Jack D asks, what do you recommend for how non-engineers and beginners get plugged into using the ESP32 S2 and learning the concepts discussed here? I think that the ESP32 S2 is a little early for super beginners. Um, you might want to wait until there's an Arduino IDE. So maybe pick up a dev board. Um, they're only eight bucks a DigiKey. And that way, when, you know, when support is announced, um, you'll have hardware to test it out with. That's that's what I recommend. I'd also say that a lot of the concepts we're discussing are not specific to the ESP32 S2. So if you don't need Wi-Fi, there's uh, lots of other good boards you can start with. Um, and if you're getting just getting into embedded, I also recommend CircuitPython, which is what we work on and stuff. But it's designed for beginners. So yeah, uh, we'll have it. We'll have it be super easy once we're. I mean, you got it. You, you yeah. were working on um, linking, and you said you got the linking issue linked. So you got it USB enumerating. Yeah. Not actually sh transferring data yet, but it does appear on the USB port. Make, making progress, telling me that, that. Yeah, it pass. seems like enumeration's working out just fine. All right, so you just got to figure out where that data's going. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole. So how do you de do the debugging on the SP32 S2? Do you? I'm printf debugging like my life depends on it. <laughs> oh, I thought there was like a JTAG interface. Um, there is, but I don't think that it's broken out on the Sala. Maybe it is. Uh -huh. uh, I thought I maybe only on the larger dev board it was. Um, from what I could I, I glanced at it yesterday because um, getting a backtrace would be nice. Um, but right now all I'm doing is, yeah, Mark says it is the JTAG stuff is broken out. Okay, great. Um, it's with open OCD, so you need something else that open OCD uses to use them. Um, so, but my process has been just because there's the separate serial USB to serial chip. I'm I'm literally just printf debugging. It is kind of, of I mean, it is nice. Like I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool because you can always upload code and and your USB. You don't have to like unplug it and replug it or like. Yep. And I, I find that sometimes um, when you're doing USB stuff like this, um, like I always end up just like crashing my computer. Right. Um, that's always fun, especially when the USB port just stops working. You have to like hard shut down, unplug everything, replug everything, because you can get you can get hubs into such a bad state. Um, right. So having them be separate is also kind of nice, so you don't. Yeah, have and I collision. to plug to plug another product that Adafruit carries is that the this charge data cable where it's just USB-A on both ends is really, really nice when you're doing USB stuff that makes your, your bus unhappy. Like I'd be debugging USB and like I'd hear my music start stuttering in my headphones because it's also over USB and I'd quickly flip the switch off so that so that it can recover. All right, I'll give people a link to that. Cause that is, that is, I really, I got that it's just for security, you know, for safety, mm -hmm. um, but these are, these are really handy. So I'll paste that in the chat when I can find the chat. Uh, talking about debugging USB, which is always fun. 
Uh, Scott likes this cable. You can select data or uh, charge mode so you can quickly re-enumerate or keep from enumerating. So Ethan Waldo asked, oh, I can't scroll up. You have to grab the, the thing. I have to hold it? Yeah, you have to grab and hold it. <laughs> oh, looking at the data sheet, it doesn't look like direct DMA over GPIO is supported. Just DMA for I2C, I2S, SPI, and UART. Can that be confirmed? I can't confirm it, but it's not unlikely. Um, GPIO DMA is, is kind of rare. Um, mm -hmm. We saw, you know, I was, when we saw the SAMD51, one of the things that I really liked is it has GPIO DMA. Um, right. And it's good for, you know, RGB matrices or NeoPixel, like tons of NeoPixels or, um, you know, connecting to cameras or other stuff that has like large parallel port communications. Remember, it doesn't have the toggle lines often, so it's not good for displays where you have to like clock and latch. It's 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 a little not as useful as you might think. Um, so I, if they didn't add it, I wouldn't be surprised just because it's, it's not that useful for many people, I got to admit. I think a, a good set of timers is worth more than GPIO DMA. That's my view. Take them to the bank. Okay. Oh, good. Ivan's here, so I can answer uh, yeah. all the hard questions. <laughs> I was, I was just telling Ivan, like, you can ping me on Discord if if he has answers. Okay. So Ivan, I for those of for those of you who don't know, Ivan works for Espressif and has been super helpful with us getting the ESP thirty two S two going. Yeah. Um, Okay, so Ben Hank says, okay, he found out that the RISC five ultra low power processor is clocked at eight megahertz and has access to eight kilobytes of the RTC SRAM. Okay, so that could be cool. Like you shut down the main chip and then you have this right. RISC five thing going, yep. getting sensor data, maybe just socking it into the yep. SRAM and then it wakes up the microcontroller and says, like, okay, we're we're doing stuff. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I have from I think that's common in the previous ESPs where they had a a, a ULP core as well. But from the other, like I just did a bunch of lower power work in CircuitPython and none of the like STMs, STMs, SAMDs, NRFs, all, none of them have a core in the low power domain, which is pretty interesting. Um, okay, Mark Olson asked the Huzzah, uh, 8266 had some capacitor transistor thing to auto restart, go to bootloader when the data on the RTS pin, does that exist on the ESP32? Is an issue? And yeah, this is like this this dual transistor um, flip floppy uh, circuit. It lets you use the toggling of the RTS and DTR pins to control whether you go into bootloader mode automatically or into um, uh, run mode. And it doesn't depend on the initial levels of the RTS and DTR pins which is like why it's a little bit of a funky circuit instead of just connecting, you know, RTS and DTR directly. So yeah, that circuitry seems to be here on the cell as well. Um, I see, you know, two transistors and a bunch of resistors next to it. So I think it's probably there, but you, that's only for UART mode.
only need for UART bootloading. But yes, it seems that the funky reset circuit is on the cell uh, ESP32 S2 dev kit. Adam says, I can't wait for the USB side to work so that you can drop in code like CircuitPython. That's right. And that's why yeah. we like this chip. Scott, we want to talk about why we don't support the ESP266 or 32 anymore, but we are going to support the ESP32S2, which is why we're doing this hack chat. Yeah, native USB. Uh, native USB, as we've talked about a little bit already, allows you to have different protocols over USB. Typically, the ESP8266 and 32 only had USB, which was actually a translation to a UART, um, which doesn't mean, which doesn't allow it to show up as a disk drive, which is like fundamental to how CircuitPython works. So by having even the like full speed peripheral on the ESP32S2, we can now support multiple protocols over USB at the same time, which is super exciting. And uh, I've been doing a stream every Friday on the Adafruit's YouTube. Um, where I'm checking in with like the progress that I've made on CircuitPython on the ESP32-S2. So tune in. It's typically at 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, because I'm in Seattle, uh, and go for about two hours. So uh, expect a recap of like where I'm at in the week, and then we'll work on one thing that I've been thinking about. So I'd encourage you to show up this week in particular, because it, fingers crossed, I, I might actually be able to get like serial REPL working by Friday. So yeah, tune in I mean, to check we, that out. We did an initially support the ESP8266 when it came out because we had the Huzzah. And then we actually also helped out the Kickstarter for Damien's um, MicroPython Kickstarter. And the, the, the Huzzah was one of the boards that they recommended because it was really easy to use. And um, the thing that was great about it is it had low-cost Wi-Fi. The thing that was a little um, challenging for us is it was really hard to get files on and off mm -hmm. the memory. Um, you know, we even wrote tools for that called Ampy, and it's very popular. People still use it, but we just found it too difficult for people to use, um, especially the way that we want to use them. I mean, it's totally available for MicroPython. So, MicroPython folks, if you want ESP32 or 8266 support, go there because they got that. Um, but we kind of had an inkling that there would be a USB ESP32. So, we're like, you know what? Let's just wait, you know, if it takes a year. Um, to, to get something that we felt was a good experience. Yeah, we, we, we would always get people in the support forums being like, I got my ESP8066, I plugged it, I, I loaded CircuitPython and I plugged it in and it doesn't show up as a drive. <laughs> yeah. We simply can't, couldn't have that happen. Uh, yeah. And so we wanted to narrow it down so that the, the experience and, and the tutorials all apply to all CircuitPython devices. Okay. Uh, Morgan asks, what does the flash process over USB look like at the moment? Might have missed that. Um, so for that, I'm going to say, you know, right now, uh, right, there's eight Morgans. Morgan. Oh, yeah. I hope I'm picking the right one. I don't know. Just, I don't really care. Um, for now, we're using the USB UART built-in yeah. ROM bootloader that's set up on the Sola. Uh, but there is a USB bootloader. So we'll try that out once we got a more stable 
build process. Yeah, and we'd like to bring UF2 to it as well, I think. I think so too. I mean, there's the Teeny UF2 project, um, you know, that partners with Teeny USB. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's like the, um, the, the STM32, right? You know, once I started like playing with the SV32 and I realized, oh no, there's a USB ROM bootloader on every chip. Like I was kind of like, man, it's really, and it's not on Windows at least, it's a drag and drop program. Like there's a there's a program that you run, you don't have to do any command line stuff. You can open up this app and you select your file and you click program and it just runs, uh, you know, that's really nice. I really like a ROM bootloader. I love them. It's a great way to to fix things if needed. I mean, it's just like I, I think it's 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 scary for companies because it's a, you know it's a big security attack vector, mm-hmm. but you know they're pretty sweet when they have them. So uh, yeah, NXP has them. Um, you know, we were also playing with the IMX RT series. You know, that also has a ROM bootloader, mm-hmm. which I totally can't figure out yet. But one day I will. <laughs> Yeah. But you have to, the reason I like you have to is that we can make it a consistent experience across everything in the same way that we want CircuitPython to show up as a drive. Um, you have two is great because it can be consistent and it requires no uh, programs to be installed. Another nice thing about native USB is it means that, um, you can do, uh, cool stuff like have it be programmable over Android. Um, because you don't have to worry about any weird drivers. You can use like the native USB CDC, you know, driver definition. So that can be interesting too for, for portable programming from a tablet. Okay. Um, Aaron asks, could you not create a native USB board that uses the existing ESP32 or 8266 that you can plug in and make it visible as a drive? Not really. Um, I replied in, in the chat, but basically the those chips don't actually have native USB. Yeah. So you would be using a different chip. You'd have to use some other chip to do it. It would be a mess. Like I've, I've used them. Um, NXP had like, it was called like the USB PT 1200 or something. And, uh, it was just such a nightmare. Like it was just a, it was a USB um, endpoint manager. Um, I, I barely got it working once. It was very challenging. And then, uh, sorry, the USB D12, and then they deleted it off their website because I guess the chip sucked so much. <laughs> it wasn't even worth our copying. Yeah. Okay. Um, ben asks, what's the deal with web USB? Is that going to be a thing or any idea? Sorry, one second. This off. I know, right? Hold on. Uh, wait. Okay. Oh, no, wait, I lose it. Where did it go? Ivan's getting caught up on questions as well. Maybe you answer the time of flight ones, because I don't, I don't know anything about the time of flight. <laughs> I just said lots of time of flight questions when I chatted with him. <laughs> yeah. I lost it. I don't even know what the question was. Sorry. Ask it again. Oh, interesting. What? Regarding DMA, Ivan says, uh, there is the I2S peripheral, which supports parallel input and output, unlike regular serial I2S. Okay. It can be used to drive displays and work with cameras. 
Yeah, you know what? Now that I think of it, I remember there was some like parallel port interface. So yeah, sounds hmm. like there is a way to use the I2S audio peripheral to do uh, GPIO DMA type activities, cameras, displays, etc. Timon's also asking, have you considered TinyUF2 yet? Sounds like a more maintainable feature for UF2. Uh, totally agree. I think that's where we're going. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, UFG does have a lot of, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things you just have to watch out for. Um, it's, <laughs> it's easy to make mistakes that can break boards if you don't have a good bootloader. So we're going to go very slowly and carefully, uh, into that project. Um, I think for all new bootloader, new UF2 bootloaders, we'll probably do it there. Yeah. Like the SAMD21, we're not going to be able to, to use teeny UF2. It's just so it's so tightly wound up right. uh, to fit into the 8K board, uh, boundary. But I think any other chip is probably good. Yeah. Okay, Morgan says, time of flight is not supported yet. I will, I'll link to the uh, AT86 RF-230 time of flight thing. People can... So regarding time of flight, Ivan says... It's in progress, but unfortunately won't ship an IDF 4.2 as there are higher priority features on the Wi-Fi side in progress. Will be part of IDF 4.3. Okay, here's like a here's like a paper. And I'm actually chatting with Ivan in live broadcast chat on the Adafruit Discord server, which okay, you cool. can join at adafru.it slash discord. And we're there all all day, every day. Thirty-three. Okay. Cool. We've been doing forty minutes of questions. How are you feeling, Scott? Are you staying hydrated? I'm out of water. I didn't I usually have a backup glass of water for my two-hour stream mm -hmm. in case I, you know, like smack it and spill it on my yeah <laughs> spill it on my keyboard like I did on one of mine. Um, live live stream learning yeah. experiences. Yeah, I got. I, I can go. I can go as long as we have questions. Yeah. Well, if you have a couple more minutes, I could just say like some um, of the things that we're planning to do with the SP32 S2. Like we're going to um, we're gonna have a feather, obviously, because we love feather and a metro. And I want to make a clue board, like you know, a, a display two button micro bit shape thing, but with an ESP32 S2. I'm not sure if I can fit the rover on the back. I'm going to find out pretty soon. It is a little chunky, but if I can, um, yeah, having that would be great because I would love to have a, a Wi-Fi capable uh, micro bit shape board. And then of course um, the raw chips are very small. Like the amount of support circuitry required other than the QSPY flash is pretty minimal. So having a circuit playground with Wi-Fi would be great. I'd like to do that by the, by the end of the year. And so on the software side with CircuitPython, like I'm actively working on it, even more so than I was the last few weeks. I'm hoping to have the REPL working in the next day or two. Um, so basically with CircuitPython, when you have a new port, you basically want to get all of the workflow going. And then once you can do that, you can get it checked in. And then you can do things like digital IO and, and uh, NeoPixel and bus IO all kind of concurrently. 
so yeah, this 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 core bit right now is the hardest part, I think. Okay. All right. And I'm posting a link in the Hackaday chat, uh, and I'll I'll put it in YouTube as well of the playlist of my past uh, live streams. Yeah. Um, I do have. I call them deep dives because they're like two hours long and they're <laughs> definitely technical. So. Okay. Peter says, thanks for this cool chat and all the answers. Cool to see so many familiar, well-known faces here. Yay. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's all the questions that I saw that we can answer. Okay. The Would it still be pin compatible with a micro bit? Um, the Wi-Fi clue would be micro bit shape pin compatible. Mm. So Ivan, Ivan had some more info on the Wi-Fi ADC stuff. Says yeah. there, there is now a hardware arbiter that can, which allows ADC two and the Wi-Fi at the same time. All right. Wi-Fi still has priority, so you may get a lower sample rate, but the driver will not automatically retry sampling if Wi-Fi grabs priority. So the situation is better than with the ESP32. Still not completely independent, though. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, turns out the S2 has... You're being much better about it than me. ...arbiture of the ADC plus... Wi-Fi, so you can use both at once, but why I will get priority. Okay. Sammy so asked, do you know how low level the 802.11 support is? Probably not as low as you want. Um, they have talked about how they don't like to open up the lower um, level hardware control because people abused that when, and you know, one moment that they opened up a lower level, people made Wi-Fi the authors, you know? So now like, that's that's one of the things that they're known for now is, oh, you can use an 8266 to, to turn off other people's Wi-Fi. And I think that's uh, not playing very nice. So, hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't get really low level access. Um, I mean, I'm sure that there will be an ESP32 S2 with two cores with BLE. I mean, like, I think it's coming. I think it's more just a, a price and processing question. Right. Yeah, I've heard, actually, I think Ivan's confirmed that like the ESP32 S3 will have BLE as well. Yeah. So it's gonna be like a whole S line of, of products, I guess. It's it's normal to, well, yeah, S might percent for single core, but it's, it's normal to see, um, companies, especially when they add new peripherals like this or change the architecture, they'll, they'll kind of release one chip of a family and then wait to get like ROM bugs worked out or, or firmware or support and then build on that, right? They did that with the 8266 and built on that for the 3.2. So th this is normal, you know, to see an expansion. So one thing, one question PTU is saying is uh, from Bob Greenwald's, are, are there any differences that you know of in how the S2 might handle audio signals either through analog IO pins or via I2S, I assume? Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have I2S input and output. Um, I don't know how many channels, but probably one input, one output minimum, maybe two, two sets. 
Um, I2S, you know, of course, is going to be the highest quality. Um, and then you're not competing with Wi-Fi either. You're not competing with the Wi-Fi because if you were going to try to, although I think you could use one ADC to to measure two um, sets, but just I2S is kind of what everyone ends up using. And you can get an I2S decoder for like a buck or two now. They're they're very inexpensive, and you can get um, microphones that are I2S native, which is kind of cool and weird. Um, I don't know if they have PDM support for the ESP32S2. That's kind of a weird one. I don't think so. I think I would have seen it. Yeah. It sounds like the I2S peripheral is pretty flexible, though, so maybe. David Bates asks, any on-chip onboard battery management better than deep sleep? Uh, not that I know of. The, the documents I was reading was just light sleep or deep sleep. Yeah, I'm a fan of adding an external circuit to, to do that stuff, but you know, it does add cost and space. But like I like the TPL fifty one one oh. It you know it's it's microampere deep sleep and it will just cut power to something on a timer for you. So it's like you don't have to worry about like, oh, am I in the right mode or what if it times out? It just goes to sleep. On YouTube, Bob says, I did mean I2C. I'm working on a feather project. I think you're going to have some trouble over I2C getting your your data rates up. Yeah. You can't, I, I2C you can't is pretty radio. slow for audio data. You could. I once did 4 kilohertz audio over I2C, but it was really unpleasant. Um, I wouldn't use it for that. I mean, you can, but it's it's really just not meant for it. Um, it's not good for – it's not a streaming protocol because it's, like, packetized. So that's why I2S is really nice, right? You just – it's still only like three pins, but um, it's very SPI-like, but you don't have to worry about what if you connect or disconnect in the middle of the signal, it'll automatically do the right thing. All right, I think we're caught up on questions as far as I can tell. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. So um, if people want to follow uh, at least Circuit Python progress. Uh, again, I posted a link to the Discord a bit earlier. Um, we have a weekly meeting on Mondays that uh, is what's happening in the whole wide world of Circuit Python, and and I'll cover my updates there in terms of ESP32 S2. Um, we also have note docs, so you can take a look at those and follow along if you don't want to listen to the whole meeting. And then um, ask an engineer and show and tell on Wednesdays. You'll start to see stuff there. And then I also have my Friday streams, uh, at least for the duration of the ESP32 S2 work. I know so much. Well, I'm excited. Um, I can't wait to to try out the ESP32 S2 stuff once you've got it going. I know. I know the beginning for you is always kind of the most challenging part of, of adding a new chipset. But once we get that that beginning stuff ironed out, uh, it's it's usually a fun like every week it's like new peripheral ADC this week. New <laughs> peripheral I2S this week. Yeah. Yeah it'll be good. And I think one of the things that's on my radar is a new uh, a a new build system potentially as well. Yeah do you want people who are like CMIC experts to come by the Stream I just, I'm not convinced on CMake. Oh boy. <laughs> I, 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 I dislike both, so I don't know. I'm... Yeah. I, I, I've, I've been really interested in Ninja, which is what 
the IDF is using under the hood for CMake. Um, but I, CMake itself is not that interesting to me. <laughs> Adam asks, is the prototype on its way to you supposed to be a secret? Which prototype? I assume it's the Feather S2 from Unexpected Maker. Uh, OK, well, it's not a secret anymore. You just said it live on the internet. <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, I mean, you can tweet it. It's, it, not, it's it not that secret. It's not that secret. I, I watched Sion's video, and he said that like he was sending them to some folks and that he had earmarked for. And Yeah. But he did privately tell me that there was one with my name on it. So, OK, well, this was a very successful hack chat. We answered many questions. Showed showed off the uh, the hardware that we got from DigiKey, so pick up a dev kit. Uh, I will say, um, don't wait on getting the dev boards because I did a stream <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, you know yeah, when they're available, you go to DigiKey, and then it was like they were in stock right then, and I was like, oh my god, wait, like they're they were in stock. I wasn't expecting that, and um, you know I did the stream, and then after the stream was over, they were sold out. So uh, don't be like me. If you want a dev board, they're only a couple bucks. Get one now. Uh, I think because, I'm actually going to do that. Yeah. See, Scott's got this. Scott's smart. Be well, like Scott. I don't think it's. I don't think it's the same exact one that I have. You think the one, the one M, is the one without the PS RAM? It's probably right. the probably the M is room, and the R is for Rover. So yeah, I would get the M because that's going to be closest. That that's the lower cost, slightly lower cost um, module, and it's going to be what we'll probably try to support for like the clue and, and stuff. Yeah, it'd be good to have uh, both for me to test with here. All right, well, thanks everybody for coming to this hack chat. Thank you, Hackaday, for mm -hmm. hosting us. Uh, you know, Sophie and Dan are always making it a fun time. We like to do these, you know, every few months or so. And uh, I guess uh, there's gonna be one next week on pen testing. So fun times, maybe we'll drop by and uh, we'll be working on our CMake skills while we watch that hack chat. <laughs> so thank you everybody again, Scott, don't forget, come by CircuitPython video chats meetings every mm -hmm. Monday, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. Me, Lady yep. Ada, we're gonna have show and tell for a full hour tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time to 8 p.m. It's a full hour. So please come by and show off any project you're working on. It doesn't have to be Adafruit stuff. It doesn't have to be electronics. It could be plants. It could be cats. We don't care. Come by, uh, hang out with some cool hackers. Uh, you know, we, we won't be giving away stickers, but in the future, you'll get one. And then we have Ask Engineer at 8 to 9 p.m. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Goodbye.